0: In the book, Prayer, 40 Days of Practice, I take a swing at unpacking the word spiritual, not in an effort to redefine the word for all users, but in an effort to expand its application to meet my own experience and expectations. I do so by way of an allegory, a story in which a young man visits a religious guide of some kind. I think I call him a priest in the actual chapter, and shares that something feels wrong in his connection with the divine. He describes it like a kind of pain in his chest, one he experiences most keenly at night, when he lays down to reflect on his day. After describing the discomfort in some detail, the young man expects a particular kind of spiritual response by his priest friend, but that priest friend reaches into his bag and retrieves an antacid saying, "'Son, you have heartburn.' "'My hope Is that the story expands a reader's take on what it means to think of themselves spiritually? That instead of spiritual matters being those that are disembodied and separate from financial, social, physical, mental, and emotional ones, thinking spiritually is about seeing all of those aspects of one's existence as integrated, sacred, as attended to by the one who holds all things together. And while the story presents a bit more prescriptive role, the priest, that expanded expectation regarding what is spiritual is part of the work of spiritual direction. And spiritual direction, as a practice and a profession, deserves a whole long look before we go simply and easily defining it. See, if living spiritually has to do with considering every square inch of my life worth the attention of God, then learning to practice that kind of life takes a very nuanced Very detailed and, dare I say it, a very personal help. That has been the role of spiritual direction for me and one I've longed to play in the lives of others. I'm currently apprenticed to Tara Owens, who is a spiritual director and the founder of Anamkara Ministries. Her wisdom and her experience have been on the revolutionary side of enriching in my life. And because I know my attempts at passing along the things and the ways that I've come to see by way of her guidance, I visited her in Colorado Springs so that I could pass on a conversation. I think you'll dig it. Check it out. So this is Colorado Springs. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Are you from Colorado Springs?
1: No, I am not. I am from a lot of places, uh, but I was born in Montreal.
0: Okay, so you're here now. You you were born in Montreal is there a place, when I say home, that you're like, this is home. Are there multiple places that are home? Like, talk about the experience of home for you.
1: So I growing up, that phrase, there's no place like home, used to feel like there is no such a place hmm. as home. That may perhaps be because I lead as an Enneagram 4. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I moved around uh, about every six years while I was growing up. Why? Uh, uh, my dad was part of a tech company huh. um, and he would, he would probably tell the story, um, his father um, was a chicken farmer um, and wow. uh, was delivering eggs right when grocery stores became a thing um, and failed at business utterly and it crushed him and he ended up sitting in the corner of their house for a number of years. Like literally just sitting in the corner. So my dad made this sort of inter- – I will always – I will always provide for my family. I will always huh. – so he really climbed the corporate ladder um, and we followed because he was, he was providing, damn it. Yeah. And uh, so that's what we did. We moved a lot. And,
0: and providing for him meant the dollars. Yes. Yeah. As opposed to like home.
1: <laughs> yes, which he now would regret. Like I remember, he he was an uh, upper level executive in an insurance company and um, was asked to take early retirement, um, and which was a you know corporate speak for bottom line, you're old, and wow. we don't want to pay you what you're worth. Um, and I remember talking to him on the phone, and he said, "Now, this is a man who would not profess." uh, any kind of belief system necessarily, um, in terms of faith. But he, I remember talking to him and he said, Tara, I sold, I sold my soul. I sold my soul. And I'm reaping that right now. And so he has, since that time, which is the past decade or so of his life, really shifted, um, a lot. Um, and so, that's been a cool thing to watch. But the fallout, I think, is that home is a very fraught concept for me.
0: Hmm. So does living here in Colorado Springs feel like home? Or does it feel like the place you are because it works for what you do? <laughs>
1: um, so it's the most homish um, that I think I've lived. Um, I have this tendency to collect earth. Um, hmm. Which is, if you go to my home, there are all these little jars of earth that are on um, the wall, on little uh, ledges of different places um, that are homish to me. Um, Because I really like the incarnate nature of home matters a lot. And I would say the cliche thing is to say, you know, home is where my beloved people are. And that's true. Um, But I'd say Colorado Springs is the most... Uh, Canadian-ish place I've left, lived, and being in Canada is is often home for me. I feel at home there hmm. um, culturally. Um, it's a more collectivist culture. There's all sorts of things about Canada. Um, but I'm a first-generation Canadian. Both my parents are British. Um, so, like, that isn't – I don't even have deep roots there. Um, the, and it's it's a very strange experience to be sort of rooted and unrooted at the same time. Yeah. So, like, my mom has a genealogy um, that goes back in her mom's line to someone named Ashod the Carnivorous.
0: (laughs) No, no, (laughs) that's not that's not real. Is that real? Real? It's real. Real. Ashod the Carnivorous. Yeah, I'll take I'll take a picture of the (laughs) book. That's the best thing ever. (laughs) And you're just Tara. (laughs) That's very good. Who is Ashod? The I we can't not do this. (laughs) Who is I'm gonna actually? I'm gonna hand this to you, and you can hold a little bit closer. Who is Ashrod the Carnivorous? And of what relationship are you to this person?
1: Um, Ashrod the Carnivorous is probably my great 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 grandfather. So, um, yeah, he, uh, there's not, I mean, obviously they weren't on Twitter back then. So, no. uh, there's not a lot of record of who he was other than his name, uh, and, and being a tribal leader back, like this is before Charlemagne and who's also like strangely in my bloodline mm-hmm. in that direction. But like, if wow. we go back far enough, you know, there's all sorts of, yeah. I mean, I was actually, the reason it's top of mind for me is I've been, um, Reading through Resumum Menicum's uh, my grandmother's hands, which is about racialized trauma, and um, and thinking about what does it mean that like within my genetics is the story of someone named Ashad the Carnivorous who like clearly got that name for something, and what is it? What does that result in in my daily life in terms of the trauma that I live out with other people?
0: So if someone's ask you, um, as happens, we we identify people with their work um, uh, which is good and bad and all that um, someone says to you you've got like you're literally elevator m- moment and someone says uh, you know I'm Tony I work at a pizza place blah blah, blah. what do you do how do you an- how do you answer that question shorthand and then after you do the shorthand expand on it like do you have like a shorthand answer for like what you do like what do you do and then talk about it
1: well, I'm going to answer the question before the question, Yeah, um, because part of what I do involves listening to people as they are. So if I've stepped into an elevator with someone who's, like, tapping their toe and clearly, like, is not interested fully in what I do, or is just making, like, I, I'm reading, I'm listening yeah. the to the person and what they're saying before they're saying it, yeah. and... Um, so if, if they're not fully present and are, and or are anxious in some way, I usually respond that I'm the executive director of a nonprofit called Anamkara Ministries. Uh, Which
0: and it's like kind of big, mysterious that yeah, they want to go in, they can, they but can, but if
1: you, like, if, if you didn't want to open that door, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come into your space with what I do because it's sort of like saying you're a sex therapist. People are like oh, God, I don't want to think about that right now, or they're all in. Um, So if somebody is present to it, I'll say I'm a spiritual director, uh, which means that I listen to people in their relationships with God, the divine, however they name that.
0: The caution, I, I was talking with someone the other day about the Enneagram in this way, that part of what they understood as a Enneagram tradition, it was very early on, you wouldn't even talk about your type. You wouldn't say I you wouldn't identify. You would never ask another person their type. It was a thing you knew between yourself and per, and, you know, like a mentee or a mentor and that was it. It was a self knowledge. The conversation about about spiritual direction or talk of spiritual direction is somewhat popularized ish, not quite as popularized as the Enneagram, which is like the McDonald's of religion right now. (laughs) Like everyone's been there and (laughs) pretends like they know. Um, but it's, it's relatively popularized. Is that good and bad? Uh, is that like there are pitfalls to that? Can you talk about that? Like you're cautious about saying I'm a spiritual director for a reason. Um, are you comfortable with the popularization of spiritual direction as a thing? Are you uncomfortable? And like, talk about both those things.
1: Yeah, because everything's a both and, right? Um, <laughs> most things. There's some things that are not. None but not. Um, Yeah, I would say that I find the popularization of anything moves it pretty quickly into a, a thing instead of a practice. Yeah. Um, like that's why the Enneagram was held because it's a it's a practice it's a living moving reality as opposed to a consumable product um, that's gonna you know make my hair awesome or whatever it is Um, and I think anything that we popularize at least in our current day and age becomes a consumable pretty quickly Um, and spiritual direction is just utterly not that at the core of what it is it is walking alongside another it is a relationship it is a holy thing um and so in some ways i'm i i find it difficult that we're Mm. popularizing it in other ways um it becomes accessible it becomes um, less frightening or um it becomes a place that is real for people um And that's where I start struggling as every spiritual director I know struggles with the name or with the term director because it, it isn't hierarchical in that way. Um, I'm not directing anyone to do anything. Um, but using the term stands in a tradition that I respect deeply and I'm a part of, and I'm a community that goes back thousands of years. Um, and I, uh, will hesitate to disrespect my elders.
0: <laughs> strong. It's very strong. And for that same reason, you you don't identify um, Anam Cara with the with the term or the idea of program. Like you don't have a program. That was really clear. Like before before we'd even talked. Um, someone who uh, was in the apprentice, was apprenticed to you had mentioned like you should talk to Tara, and I said something about the word program, and she she was like shh 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 shh, shh, shh don't <laughs> don't say that word, and <laughs> it was it was very clearly like that's not um, you're really cautious to not uh, to, to move what you do as someone who helps people become, I want you to describe this for yourself. As someone who helps people become spiritual directors or helps people decide whether they should or can be, that it's not a program. You don't have a program, but people will meet with you for a while, you know, work in groups, and at some point potentially have some sort of a like an identified relationship with the phrase, I am a spiritual director. Talk about the choice to... Talk about the, the decision to to divorce the word "program" from what you do, mm-hmm. and then if it's not a program, how does it actually how does it actually work for you?
1: So, I have an allergy to the word "program" um, in general um, because of the way Western education has developed um, and Western models of education have developed over time to. Um, create the same thing over and over again um, to treat people as again consumable Hmm. nouns Um, and I started the Anamkara Apprenticeship as a training in spiritual direction with the idea that spiritual direction itself is relational Um, that's the basis of it and why uh, why we do it um, is to be with someone as they are with God. It is inherently based in that movement of this thing that is happening in between you and I sitting across from each other right now yeah. and how it's different than um, us sitting in a lecture hall um, or um, any other sort of context that is large and group-oriented Um Which isn't to say I don't think we should have communal events or things like that. And I teach in several programs that I think are valid programs. Um, But it's a thing um, that doesn't take, necessarily take, or can't, because of its structure, take into account the individuality of the person sitting in front of me. Their needs, how they learn, how they grow uniquely, um, and who they are. Um, and so what I wanted to do, I looked around at um, the education of spiritual directors, the formation, really, of spiritual directors. And I think, again, there are, I don't want to disrespect any programs out there because they're really good programs. But what I was drawn to in the value system I have is that soul friendship is something that is so much more caught than taught, yes. modeled um, than managed. And what... I was seeing in terms of drawing forth the good, the holy in each person that I am accompanying in the journey of them owning the phrase, I am a spiritual director, um, mattered so much more to me than a duplicatable system. Um, I don't think, again, I don't think systems are wrong. There's a theologian, Walter Wink, who talks about... um, systems as and structures as potentially moving towards the flourishing of the kingdom of God and the community, or the opposite. Um, and he calls those powers and principalities, which is just a whole fascinating side yes. discussion. And I've never met a tangent I don't like. But um, <laughs> but what I do is much more ye olde apprenticey. Um, the way that that used to work, if you were apprenticing in becoming a blacksmith, for example, you would find somebody who did that and did that well. And you would watch them and decide, do I want to be in a relationship with that person to have them train me? Because the other thing is, I really believe in the accountability of my apprentices, like looking at me and saying, does your life reflect? And asking me questions and being so that they are changing me all the time. Um, In this relationship I'm not unmoved um, Which I think is Our relationship with God God is not unmoved by us Mm -hmm. Um, And And so you find that person And you say well you take me on as an apprentice And that person either says Who the heck are you And learns about you And decides yes or no Or says I'm too busy Or I'm you know whatever Um, And then you follow along you watch you learn that person uh, watches you um and watches how you move and how you pick up a piece of metal and how you listen to a piece of metal and um and that's what the apprenticeship is modeled off of
0: several things one there is i mean i th- isn't there is something to be said for that dynamic in or out of a program regardless correct that even that one of the one of the things that a program that, yeah, the, the programatiz- programat- programatization, I'll get that later. Um, <laughs> if I make a program of a thing and I, and I make it a system and I just bank on the system, I ignore the fact that – I think I'm right in saying this. I ignore the fact that the most, the purest form of formation and education is this the blacksmith model where, like, I'm going to watch someone do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I can read it in the book. I can, I can see the video, but ultimately I'm going to, I'm going to take on what I see in someone else doing it. It's the thing we just flat out tend to forget. I remember reading, um, James, Jamie Smith's book, um, imagining the kingdom. And he thought, and and it's just beautiful, like four or five pages in which he's like, well, if it looks like a mall, (laughs) that might be what you pass on. Like the form is in some way, the thing you're always passing on. Um, in that, Um, there's a, this is an observation I want you to reflect on this is, uh, before I came uh, to you and asked to apprentice with you, I was in a program and, um, I would say like probably 80% of the people in the room were not male. Um, most of the folks when we gather are not male. Mm -hmm. It seems, uh, like my observation is there. there is at least a, a broader doorway for non-male persons um, in uh, to become and to function as spiritual directors, far more so than like whatever it is, like six or eight of percent pul- of pulpits on a Sunday are filled with women. Um, can you talk a little bit about that is that is that a, is that am i am i witnessing an actual thing is it is it uh, and like what is that like w- why is that
1: so that's something i've been thinking about a lot um and historically that was not the case um in spiritual direction because spiritual direction was the realm of priests hmm. um, which was historically male uh male persons in that role um and um there's been sort of a really fascinating shift, um, and I, you know, we could go into the historicity of like what, where spiritual direction grew up in the Catholic Church, and like, there's just some fascinating dynamics between Teresa of Avila and Saint John of the Cross, and like, hmm. because they were both spiritual directors, but Teresa of Avila was Saint John's spiritual director, and we tend to reverse that when we look at that historically. We assume Saint John was, was the one doing the direction and that it's, it's opposite. Um, wow. but, um, historically it was, it was spiritual direction used to be a, a very male dominated field in the church. And then, um, the reformations happened. Um, and there's been a shift, especially, um, in more formal church settings that, um, spiritual direction has become more dominated by female persons yes um i think because spiritual direction tends to operate in margins um it doesn't operate in traditional understandings of power um, and in fact um, works um, with the giving away of power yes. um, as quickly as possible within the direction room
0: The thing I keep coming back to is this is probably six or seven months ago is that Christina Cleveland had this, uh, wrote this very short, uh, reflection about the nature of, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to miss this. Um, ultimately the, 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 the propensity to, or the desire to name a thing is almost distinctively male in an expression of power and leadership. That there's far more propensity and openness in women or non male leadership to not have to name it. I don't have to call it a thing. I sure as hell don't have to brand it. Mm-hmm. That the that the need to um, or the desire to the propensity to like the, I mean the obsession with naming things isn't is an expression of power that is, in her estimation, distinctly male, and spiritual direction. Seems to kind of move away from that. Like, I'm not going to name that for you. Is that part of, is that all, is that to some degree what you're saying? Is that like when you talk about operating the margins outside of, you know, the sort of named centers?
1: I would say yes and no to that because there's a, um, I have some colleagues that I teach with that that has the joke that spiritual directors like to say, "What would it be like if you named that this?" Oh. Um, so we tend to use that phrase a lot, but it is um, we use it tentatively, mm-hmm. um, and I think there is much more of a comfort with mystery and process and movement within spiritual direction that um, doesn't have to for lack of a better way of saying it, um, pee around the edges to mark where is this, my territory versus your territory um, or own something Mm -hmm. um, in a way that makes it um, transferable. And like, I have a thing and you don't have a thing um, or I have, I have the control of this concept. um, And that in particular not having control of the concept of god um, is something that spiritual direction and and spiritual directors who are operating out of what i try and teach which is a non-manipulative presence with others um, that absence of manipulation of agenda for someone um, i think is just and to be fail fail fair (laughs) to be fair to, non, to male and non-male persons. Like the, I think in many places, men have been enculturated to manipulate. Interesting. Um, women do it also, but more subtly often. But I think there's that overt, like I am enculturated to walk into a room and to manipulate in order to function as the person in power, mm-hmm. to know where I fit, to, as opposed to walk in and say, you're here. It's the the walking into the room and saying, I'm here. I have to say, I'm here in order to be safe, as opposed to walking into the room and saying, you're here, um, which is like literally my sign over there says, yay, you're here. (laughs) Like that's, that's a giving away of, of power. It's a, like, you get to name the things you get to define what's here. You, you are here. Um, and that spiritual direction is so much about you are here and God is here with you, and what's that all about?
0: You've talked about the that you are not unmoved, that that part of the difference between doing what you do as a program versus doing what you do as an apprenticeship has to do with the fact that you are present to it and formed and changed and grow. Are there things – I'm assuming part of what that means is there – um part of what you let go of or uh, part of what changes in you is the need to let go of particular understandings of god the controls mm-hmm. we have on god mm-hmm. or want to have on god um are there things this th- at this point in your life that you are comfortable saying you know about the divine um one of the like my part of my Long practice has almost it's it, it's there's so much unknowing, there's so much undoing, and so much releasing of like I think this is, but I know that it's not, or I don't know, but I th- there's so much like loosening of the grip mm-hmm. that I've had on the understanding of the, of the divine that was systemic, system uh, systematically necessary, systemically necessary because I was in a position to be able to I, I I had to pass on knowledge, I had to lead people in a particular direction, which means I had to. Have, conclusions to lead from and to are the things that you're comfortable for you personally at this point saying like these are things that I know about God or is that does that just work differently at this point
1: I think it works relationally for me at this point okay. um, I uh, rarely preach I don't I actually will be <laughs> shortly um, which is such an odd space for me um, but it isn't that I am uncomfortable saying that there are things that I know about God um, that I I can say I have met God in particular ways. I am uncomfortable um, depersonalizing that. Hmm. So I am uncomfortable broadcasting that. Here
0: like, are the, in other words, here are the thing things. Say, this is a thing that I've come to mm-hmm. versus this is a thing that is broadly universally true.
1: Um, yes, and no. Okay. Um, I am uncomfortable not being able to look in someone's eyes hmm. as I share what I know and watch what is being moved in them and let that move me. Hmm. I am uncomfortable with the lack of a relational loop um, that we've created in a lot of situations where we broadcast what we know about God Um, it's why soul friendship is what I do Um, and it's not creating products about a thing or like it's I'm a writer it's one of the things that I do with my life Um, and I kind of go crazy if I'm not writing But I am in the middle of a um, long season where I'm not sure what a book is Um, because there is – I've written a book and there are things written in that book that are not true of me anymore because I have verbed. I have moved, which is something I fundamentally believe is that we are made in the image of a God who calls God's self a verb when god says this is my name forever in exodus 3:14 and 15 what god says is a verb um, and and so i'm uncomfortable with nouning anything wow. it isn't that i don't believe anything it's that it's like i could say there's a river there and i believe there's a river there but the river's going to look different in the next 5 seconds yes. Uh, I have on my wall a meander map of the Mississippi River, and looking at it, you can see there's one path that is clear, but then there's all sorts of other colors, and all of those other colors are all the other riverbeds that the Mississippi River has ever been on. Rivers move, not just in their flowing of water, but in the geography that they traverse. But is it a river? Yes, it's absolutely still a river. Has it changed? Totally. And and so I want to be in that river that is responding to the geography of soul, of the person or people that I'm with. Hmm. So that may be individually or communally, um, but I'm not in a space anymore where I send out something that is depersonalized into the world. And I don't, I, that's a place I'm still wrestling because yeah. I don't know how to exist like I'm glad this is a conversation. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm conversing with you particularly now. Other people are going to hear that, and that feels a little weird to me, <laughs> to be honest. Good. But because that, because then, like, it's a fixed thing. Um, but I want to know the like part of what I m- believe it is to be human and to be made in God's image is that that is going to affect people who are listening, and that there's. I don't necessarily need that feedback loop to come back to me, but the desire is that that's, and I can't control that, but the desire is that that, that feeds forward, that that change moves, that relationally we are not treating each other as nouns, as products, as things, um, which is a far cry from the question you asked, but that's yeah, my that's answer. Perfect. That's great. I love
0: that. Thank you for your time. And thank you for listening to this episode of the At Sea podcast. If you are interested in following up with Tara, finding out more about spiritual direction, or even maybe even seeking out spiritual direction for yourself, please, by all means, jump to anamkara.com. It's A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A.com. Her story, her philosophy, and even resources for spiritual direction are right there at the site. If you would, on the other hand, like to be one of the team members who continues to make this podcast happen, we would love to have you on the team. You can visit us at patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts. I look forward to seeing you there. Until next time.